0: I don't know how many of you have um, specific people in mind that uh, <clears throat> when you're with them, kind of a better version of you comes out. Maybe you don't realize it, but when you leave them, you're like, "You want to try harder, Maybe you want to be better, uh, maybe inspire you." Maybe it flips your attitude. There's people in my life that when I'm with them, it's hard to be in a bad mood, Connie Nelson. Uh, and, uh, there's, there's people in my life that I go, man, their faith or their marriage or, um, their, their self-discipline, it, it doesn't make me feel bad, but it wants me, like, it it motivates me to, to want to be different, maybe be better, to grow, to apply myself, to try a little harder, whatever. Um. One person that has been uh, I, kind of one of my favorite people doesn't actually live on this continent. He is my uncle David, my my namesake. Uh, he lives in Oslo, Norway. Uh, he, he, it is dated of me to say he's a walking encyclopedia. Uh, he uses that with his grandkids, and they're like, "What's an encyclopedia?" Uh, he, but he is a walking internet, uh, and and he's a Renaissance man. Uh, he, there's there's just. In his words, he's like, ah, oh, if, if I don't know, I'll just figure it out. And he doesn't seem to be too intimidated by much. A couple of years ago, he was visiting the States and I just like rolling out questions, open-ended questions, just to get him thinking out loud. Uh, and so I'm sitting with him, uh, we're having a kind of a large family meal, but I'm sitting right next to him. Uh, so there wasn't gonna be anything that necessarily interrupted it right away, but I, I just kind of roll this out there just to get him thinking out loud and I said, um, what would you say to an 18-year-old who was now leaving home for the first time and going out on their own, whether it's college or, or what a joint in Norway, they, they do their year of service in the military. What would you say? And he, like, without skipping a beat, like he had his answer. He didn't have to go, hmm, he just went, manage who you become. I went, okay, unpack that for me. And he says, Life is like a train station. And there's opportunities that are coming in and coming out all of the time. But if you step on board, go with it. And if you think about it, it makes so much sense because we're dealing with the fear of missing out, that we fail to commit to one opportunity, and when we do commit, we're thinking about what we gave up on. And what he's saying is, look at an opportunity and know that once you say yes, it's going to take you down the road and it's going to open a whole new doors. But he says you need to manage who you become as life sends you opportunities and they're passing through. But he says part of that also involves is is not missing out on opportunities um, and getting so focused on one thing. And he gave the example of going to school. He says don't worry so much about getting straight A's. He says if you take the test and you learn the material, don't sweat it if you get a B. It's okay because you be, might be missing out on more valuable other things. And I thought, wisdom. Wisdom for every overachiever. I said, well, let me ask you this, because now I'm kind of making it relatable to me. Said, what would you tell a young couple who's just starting out in marriage? What kind of advice would you give them? And he goes, I mean, like, without hesitating. He says, oh, it might be too late. I'm like, what? A young couple who's just starting out in marriage? And he goes, yeah, I mean, at that point, depending on how they manage, they're going to have to do a lot of relearning or unlearning a lot of the patterns, a lot of the choices, a lot of the reactions, a lot of the fears that they've just called as normal. In other words, the cement has dried. And I thought, well, that could be really um, disheartening to hear. Uh, But what he's saying is um, this idea that we get to manage who we become, I think, taps into what we're talking about when we break apart the theology of a resurrection. Lent is not just some foreplay to lead us to this big Sunday celebration. It is an actual working out of our theology in our hearts so that we can be made new, let me put it in Uncle David's words, that you can manage who you become specifically in Christ. And so when we pick up the word that Paul is writing to us, and it, to, to the Ephesians and to us some 2,000 years later, what he's trying to teach these new believers is manage who you become. Even though you're not Jews, it's okay. You're part of the family of God. And, and, and I know you've seen yourself in this light as talented people, as multicultural people, as open-minded people towards other world religions and open to all these other trades. Uh, you're Gentiles, but it doesn't matter. You are now this new human in Christ Jesus. This new identity has taken over. This is one of these messages that I hear rarely talked about, but I got really excited. So if I can actually deliver on some of the things that I studied and prepared, I'll be really excited. But I got really, because we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in light of this new identity. And so I don't think there's enough talk about the role, the functionality of what the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit acts and lives and breathes in our life. Because Paul has spent three chapters telling the gospel story. And the gospel story is, is how we find ourselves new in Christ. This, this death, this burial, this resurrection is supposed to be part of all of our story. Now he gets to this pivot in chapter 4 where he says, therefore, and which you always have to ask, what is it there for? Therefore, in light of this new identity, live this way. And so he starts to get very directive. And for some of us, it's hard to read Paul's words when he gets so pointed about the way we're supposed to talk or the way we're supposed to act. And it gets to sound like a lot of list of rules. Here's what it means to be a Christian. And he's saying, no, 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 no. If you know why, why, like who you are in Christ, you know um, it informs how we act. So don't get caught up on just being like kind of finger pointing or Paul's being the moral police. But he makes a couple of statements, and I want to look at um, uh, Ephesians chapter um, 4 and then into 5 tonight. Now, Ephesians is helping them manage who that they can become uh, in light of their new identity. Now, I will just summarize kind of chapter uh, 4 verse 25 through the beginning of verse 5 because there's a lot of categories that he just kind of oversees. Now, I just made up one slide that he talks about this old humanity. This is who you used to be and this is who you now are. You may not realize it. You may not always feel like it. You may feel like it's not happening as fast as you want, but this is your new identity this new way of living and so he starts out in verse 25 therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body what he's talking about is how to live in light of the new identity but it involves how we learn to be in community so you cannot work out your faith in isolation there has to be something that is both personal and collective about faith. Because we can't self-help our way to, to, to transformation. We can't self-help our way to this kind of resurrection experience. And so he starts going through all of these things. Uh, and he says, uh, in, in, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. What he says in light of this new identity, it isn't, you'll never get mad again. What he's saying is, and when you do get mad, this is how you manage anger. God has given you the ability to get really angry. So there has to be a healthy expression of it as well. Now we've all seen and can all imagine the the destructive expression of the emotion of anger. But God has given us this way to express anger healthily. Maybe in the form of justice, maybe in the form of compassion, but certainly not in the form of a low grade boil resentment that allows us to stew on it night after night after night and it just kind of become like a cancer. There's a way to deal with your anger in light of your new identity do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for the building up of others uh and their needs that that they may benefit from those who listen the 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 phrase here this unwholesome talk is the imagery of like some moldy soggy fruit that's just been left out too long and it it doesn't have the Christmas to it doesn't have the sweetness left in it and it's just gathering fruit flies and he's like don't let that be your speech uh And then he goes on, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now what he's saying is, this is who you are. You might not feel like it today. Oh, but by the way, you're not not on your own resource. There is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is supposed to have a transformational work in you. So the way I define spiritual maturity isn't how long you've been sitting in a pew, isn't even how much Bible that you've memorized. How I'm trying to define maturity for us as followers of Christ is a growing awareness to the presence of God and our responsiveness to the voice and the leading of God. That's why we talk about Kairos moments, those moments where you feel like God's speaking, I'm supposed to turn. Either away from or toward, but they're supposed to yield a response in me. If you want to encourage, if you want to grow the, the the in spiritual maturity, it helps to give ear to the prompts of the spirit. That check in your spirit, that 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 sense of caution, maybe that that feeling of conviction. <sighs> That's not good form. Oh, wish I could say that differently again. And I think to the extent that we're willing to yield to this is the extent that we're able to surrender ourselves to the growing ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm saying through all of these things is don't miss the significance of these things in light of the resurrection, we're unpacking what we believe about the nature of being born again, of new life and having this new identity in Christ outside of your report card, outside of your net worth, outside of your popularity or your marital status or, or the, the, the levels of joy that you care, There is something beyond all of that, and it starts with who you are in Christ. Uh, and when we get to talk about overcoming new life beginning again, we're talking about moving, and he talks about, he uses this contrast, from the shadow into the light. Now, again, it's it, it, it's kind of obvious, but salvation then doesn't mean that we sort of get an immunity pass from violence, uh, from uh, accusation, from crisis, or from tragedy, or from cancer. It doesn't make it any the easier, but it does mean that we get to live out our faith as a new human in Christ. Um, And so he gives us these boundaries. And another way to talk about boundaries is maybe like freedom. Freedom isn't free. Freedom actually requires great amounts of self-discipline. Freedom requires us, uh, these boundaries require us to, to, to kind of manage them. So maybe the best analogy I can give is if you're a parent and you're having a play date and you give your kids the house to play in, and there's all different things. The way you're going to manage this isn't like, okay, for an hour we're playing with Legos, and then the next hour we're watching videos, and then the next hour we're swinging on swings, and then, no. You kind of just turn your kids loose and say, enjoy yourself, play nice. But then they decide, oh, knives are fun to play with, or I found the medicine cabinet. You're like, hmm, let me draw the line. Why? Because at that point, it's not for life it's not for their benefit it's not for their go- but you could say oh this would be fun to play with this and he's like that is never going to be God's will and so it is when we start to live out our freedom in Christ is that God has some parameters to manage the freedom so that it can produce more life does that make sense So let's just go drive it a little deeper into this, because he starts to paint in contrast. Now, what we have to understand about contrast is good art means good contrast, right? If If you want to paint like sky, you need dark mountains. There needs to be some kind of contrast. Paul, as a very elegant writer, starts to paint the picture this way, and he uses three really distinct contrasts here in in verses 15 through 18. He says, be careful then how you live. Again, Paul is their spiritual father. He's speaking into their life. He he spent some time living amongst them, but he's trying to coach them on how to live. And he starts out by saying, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Now, this is a fascinating use of the word wise because we, as an enlightened society, as a highly educated society, as an empirical society, we like to think of wisdom as some elevated form of knowledge, but that's not necessarily the biblical context for wisdom. If you have your Bibles flip over to Exodus chapter 31 and what we have is this picture where God's people have been delivered and God is setting up a covenant community he's talking about how to be in relationship with each other as a faith-based people but he's talking about how to be in covenant relationship with God and so he's giving them all manner of detail and you could blow past this and miss the, the, the sort of kind of nuance of this really easily in, in um, verse thirty, uh, chapter thirty-one, verse two through five, he says it this way: "See, I have chosen uh, Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah." And at this point, you're like, "Get on with it! What are you trying to say?" Because I, I get really lost when I start reading sons and you know the genealogy. Listen, and I have filled him with the spirit of God. Okay, we're interested in the spirit of God because I know what I can do naturally and I need to live supernaturally I know what I can do in the ordinarily but I want to live extraordinarily so he said I need the spirit of God listen to what he says I have filled him with the spirit of God with what with wisdom with understanding with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to do what to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and to set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Think about that. The basis for wisdom is not IQ. The basis for wisdom here isn't just simply how smart we are. Do you need advanced degrees to be an artisan? One of my favorite artisans whom I've met, was a man who started a guitar shop by carving Taylor guitars. Bob Taylor never went to college, but has arguably one of the most successful guitar brands in the world, and he was just a guy at our first church, and his kids were in our youth group. And he just started carving guitars and built this guitar empire. Was he full of wisdom? Yeah. This kind of spirit of God Wisdom, A very godly man. And so the, the, the key to being a good artisan is you just have to be good. And to get good, you just have to do it a lot. Which is why we talk so much about spiritual practice. We can get, and I want you to learn the word. I want you to be studying the word. I want the word of God to speak to you. But as a community, we need to like rub off on each other in terms of how we build community, how we practice generosity, how we respond with compassion, how we exist and throw parties for the sake of others. This is what we want to practice. Uh, and, And in this case, God is animating himself through this guy, wisdom through his art. Now, your art might not feel like it's creative, but maybe you can take someone's bankruptcy and you can help them invest to not only being in the black, but actually having cash and reserves, and they can a retirement. This is wisdom. Maybe you can take chaos in the classroom and then get them to grade-level proficiency and then take them to the state choral competition, and now they're state champs. Maybe you can take all of the wiring and make sense and create a beautiful home entertainment system. Maybe you can take someone who's totally liable and create an insurance policy that surrounds them because you can do that. What is it that God has given you the ability to do and you're operating with wisdom? And the more you do it, the better you get. God animates through us through both doing it and getting better at it, right? So we need to have a spiritual practice so that God's spirit can be in us. Listen, generosity does not come naturally. But with God in me, it starts to happen more naturally because I get used to it. Because here's why. I start to decide this is who God is, so that's who I want to be. That is a very Christian thought. That's not a worldly thought. But it's something that I have to remind myself of because I live in a scarcity mindset. Feeling often too vulnerable. God's spirit wants to rest inside of us. And he says to make the most of every opportunity, i.e. with every customer that you have, with every cooking video that you make, with every opportunity that you have, make the most of it. This is what it means to grow in wisdom. And the spirit of God, the more we grow... You don't need advanced degrees. This is how it works, and so that is a beautiful picture of what God is wanting to do through His Spirit. Now, the um, wisdom is the skill you cultivate by bringing potential out of something. Wisdom is simply the skill you take, bringing potential out of something. And apparently, God takes great joy in investing His personal presence to inspire each of us to make great things. For God's glory. I hope you're encouraged by that, because there's always going to be someone that seems smarter. There's always someone, and this isn't saying much for me, I was a terrible standardized test taker, so if I hung my hat on my my test-taking skills, I would feel really bad about myself, but that's not the measure of godly wisdom. So, He goes on to say, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, the contrast continues. The foolish person is the person without a plan. The foolish person who lives without a strategy, who lives at the whim of, oh, is this important to me or is this something that um, uh, I can fudge on, Uh, not only misses opportunities to make wise use of the time, they have a more fundamental problem. He or she does not understand what God's purposes are for mankind, and for Christians. See, freedom requires the discipline, It requires both practice and discipline. And, and, and he's trying to, like, build these parameters in our life. Don't be foolish, uh, but understand what the Lord's will is. There's a way that we don't have to operate in, in, in gray areas. There's certain things that we can pursue knowing this is God's will. It's, it's, We can unpack that more and more, but uh, let's just go on to the third contrast. He says, then he gets into, and do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this might be one of Paul's... it's interesting. I think he was just trying to make an, a simple analogy here, but man, uh, this is probably one of those few areas that Paul's teaching on this has been largely misunderstood. Because the topic of the Holy Spirit has become a source of controversy uh, and avoidance. Um, because some people have expressed the role of the Holy Spirit one way, and other people just said, "Boy, that seems too emotional. I'm not even going to touch that." But can we unpack this? Because he builds a great contrast for us now. He contrasts being drunk and being filled. And you can be wise or you can be foolish on your own. But to be drunk or to be filled is an outside influence. Super important to understand. It's something from the outside. And in these verses, Paul is challenging our faith to be on point. So to be wise, to be responsive, to be alert, to be disciplined, the vibrant faith in community and with a practice. Right? Because what did we decide wisdom is? It's not IQ, but it's being mildly good at something, having a heart for it, and doing it a lot so that God's spirit comes alive. Now, one of the ways that you cannot uh, be this way uh, is by getting drunk. In fact, drinking too much is usually a sign that people are trying to cope, people are, are escaping, uh, they're, they're dulling their senses. And in this new humanity, Paul lays out There's all kinds of external influences that you want to avoid if, in fact, you want to be guided, if you want to be comforted, you want to be inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit, especially if the influence impairs you from discerning God's will. Now, we've all been around people who have drunk too much and we get embarrassed for them. But there is a a, a kind of a, a, a filter that goes away. And that doesn't have to be a negative thing. But when we're filled with the spirit of God and that that shyness filter, all of a sudden there's a boldness in our witness. There's a greater capacity to love. There's a greater um, uh, power for obedience. This is the spirit at work when we begin to yield to it. See, the Bible talks about wine... and and uh, being connected to a celebration of lots of good things and and so it's not wrong but alcohol requires lots of wisdom so if I'm a Christian or this new human as Paul's trying to paint a picture for a whole freedom has opened up to me that's actually about saying no to things that desensitize or dehumanize me he wants us to be alive in Christ and when Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit, it's not about losing the Spirit and trying to find it and get it back inside. The Spirit's way. The Spirit is the Bible's way of simply describing your personal rapport with Jesus. Your sense. In, in, in other parts in the, in the New Testament and the Gospel writings says, that "You will know my voice. The sheep know the voice of the good Shepherd." Right. And it doesn't even have to be audible. But you can hear the voice of conviction you can hear almost sense when the holy spirit has been grieved and so what he's inviting us into is the idea of this rapport that we have with jesus that he's with us and that he can sense, we can sense him in our midst conviction motivation desire awareness now He says these kind of last things uh, in this passage uh, in kind of verses 15 through 18. When we give the spirit influence or how we allow Jesus to have input and shape our lives. Well, he talks about singing together. He talks about singing alone. And talks about being thankful. Thankful and elevating others. So when we sing together, there is this reminder of God's love. You walk in here and they're singing and it's not just the thing we do before we listen to the preaching and then we're done. But there is this reminder, maybe a better way to say it, an interruption for what's been happening all week long. I don't know what voice you've been listening to most. Maybe you were reading a news feed or or, or a social media feed on the way in. I I can promise you it won't be the one that helps remind us of what is true about the heart of God or the hopefulness of of being in relationship with God. And so this is a reminder of our belief, our convictions, uh, the power of community. And he talks about singing alone, like a serenade. God's promises, truth, rehearsing. Because you know you will be tested. being thankful, I think gratitude as a needed interruption to the inflammatory and the accusation narrative, and then elevating others, submitting to one, humbling ourselves, allowing another's input. this is where I I could keep going but I'm just going to pull over right there because then he gets into and we're going to talk about what it means to be in a Christian marriage next week and this is another I think largely misunderstood piece of scripture that promotes a lot of patriarchy and I think God is all about strong masculinity as as much as he is strong femininity but we've created a chain of command and and I don't think that's what Paul intended but the scripture's words the scripture and the words that from a song that speak to us are an outside influence telling us reminding us to change to be better so when we find people in our lives that inspire us that you see something in them and you're like, "Holy, they make me want to be better." Or gosh, when I talk to them, my brain starts, like, getting stimulated, or, man, when I see the way they interact with their kids, or, boy, when I see, like, the way they respond to adversity, (sighs) so good. Do you have people like that? Maybe it's been a coach, and you didn't want that coach to leave. Maybe you had a really great youth leader uh, when you were in in high school, and they just kind of help set you on a trajectory in your life. Um, maybe it was like kind of that favorite uncle, um, maybe it was, uh, it is a mentor figure. Whoever the person is in your life, um, the question is, is, do, is it something about them uh, that, that makes you want to be that way? Or is it about you allowing them to be that way? To which I would say, uh-huh, yeah, it's probably both. Uh, but at the end of the day, The way we respond to people that God brings in our life that want to make us better is the same way we respond to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This rapport with Jesus, this this prompting of the Holy Spirit is something that God wants to grow in us. And we always have a choice. Does God have the ability to change lives? absolutely. Do we have the ability to resist God's influence? Absolutely. So to the extent that we're going to grow in wisdom and make the most of every opportunity is the extent that we are willing to yield our lives, to respond, maybe to turn away from, to turn toward. But we need to cultivate a heart that's yielded to the prompting and the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit if we want to experience the transformational work. So when we go through Lent, all we're trying to do is just think of it, be mindful of ways that we can give up certain things that aren't that hard. And we want to sock away a little bit of money. This isn't your tithe, this isn't your offering, this is just what we can save and be in part of a community. So that come Easter, we get to celebrate bringing a little more life to others. We get to live into the resurrection. And if we just have some funds, we get really creative and we start praying about how do we meet needs around Austin? Like, what a better way to celebrate the resurrection? But in during Lent, we want to grow in wisdom. And the simple thing we're practicing is saving. We're saving small amounts of money and we're going to pool our money together. But the point is, I want you to have an exercise of the voice of the Holy Spirit and build this rapport with Christ so that this new life that we're invited into can actually grow and mature and experience newness. And if you're like me and you've grown up around faith and church your whole life, it can be very easy to get calloused up. It can be kind of get layers uh, built up like we're insulating our heart. And I'm hoping that God would make us well, maybe not break our hearts by what we save, but maybe resensitize our hearts. Now, certainly I want you to be in the word and, and certainly I want you to be focused in prayer uh, because those are additional ways. Maybe I'll create um, the right kind of playlist in your car so that you're just being reminded of, of God's truth and God's promises and God's love. But the point is that we condition our hearts to the voice and the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we can be more yielded. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise because you did not leave us without resource, but you have um, provided the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And you've even painted really dramatic pictures of, of this external influence that comes in and begins to change the way we act. And speak. We know what it means to live on our own human terms, but we want to live supernaturally. We want to live uh, as you've invited us to live and participate in your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to be kingdom builders. Help us to reflect that kind of citizenship on earth. We believe that heaven has already begun. Eternity is at hand. And so we want to experience your fullness, but we need your Holy Spirit. So give us ears to hear when you're speaking. Give us eyes to see when you're showing and help us in these small efforts to grow a living faith that we would grow in wisdom and be full of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.